If you hadn't noticed, we're all different. Each and every one of us are different. If you look around, you may see some folks whose skin color is a little different. There's certainly male and female here. There are people from all kinds of economic strata that exist right here in this church. We have uh, people from different parts of the country. I'm from North Carolina, but uh, you know a lot of folks from right here in Greene County, Louisiana. We've got some people even from Tennessee and Kentucky, and we let them in. Um, no, <laughs> we've got people from Alaska. We've got people from India. So we've got people from all over. And so you know, there, we have a lot of differences. But there's something we all share in common, and that is we all live locked in this thing called time. Each and every one of us, we have 24 hours a day, 1,440 minutes a day, 86,400 seconds per day. And as we pick up here and continue with this, this series of messages on giving it all away, this morning I'd like us to focus on time. What is it that we do? with the 86,400 seconds per day that God allots to each of us. Well, I guess if we really want to know what God would have us do with it, then we're going to want to look at his word. In the first place I'd like us to just perch for a moment is Psalm 90, verse 12. Notice this verse. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, help us to count the days, to number the days, to know that they're limited and precious and valuable, each one. And Lord, as we do so, we want to gain wisdom to know how to use these moments effectively. Can I share with you some obvious statements about time? This is not rocket science. If it were, I wouldn't be doing it. The first statement is this. Time moves on at a steady, methodical pace. Tick, 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 and on and on and on it goes. And I know this because when I was back in school, back before cell phones, when you carried the time in your pocket, well, there were stopwatches before that, so I guess we've gotten back to where we were already before because there were pocket watches you carry it in your pocket, little gauge of time. Then there was wristwatches. And now you, you, you kids out there with carrying the cell phones around in your pocket, you're just like your grandfather and great-grandfather. When you want to know the time, you have to look in your pocket. Strange how all these things come back around, isn't it? Anyway, but when I was a kid in class, I spent a lot of time looking at the second hand on my watch. And no matter how much I wanted it to go faster, it never, ever did. I spend a lot of time now looking at the digits on my treadmill as I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make 45 minutes today on the treadmill. And I look at those things and I wonder, can that thing go any slower? But you know what? It's going at the same pace all the time. We need to understand that time is marching on. Wherever we spend it, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, the clock is ticking at a steady, methodical pace. The second second obvious truth about time is that you cannot manage time. You can only manage yourself within time. You can't control how fast or slow time is going. It's going at its pace. 
The only thing you can do is to manage yourself within that time framework, that 24 hours, that 86,400 seconds. That's the only thing you can do is manage yourself within that time. The third obvious truth, you can fret over yesterday and you can worry about tomorrow, but you can only live today. Now I want to give you a better solution than that, actually. You can learn from yesterday. You can plan for tomorrow. But still, you can only live for today. This is the only day that you and I have that we know that we have. The next obvious truth, you can spend each moment only once. For you golfers, there are no mulligans. Some of you have seen Bill Murray's movie, Groundhog Day. Now, you need to understand Groundhog Day is a big deal around our house. We celebrate it. We eat sausage. Groundhog. We have Groundhog Day gifts, which aren't sausage. But we have, we have a, you know, it's a big day around our house. But if you've ever seen the movie Groundhog Day, Bill Murray gets to live this day over and over and over and over again until he finally gets it right. How many of you would like to have that, wouldn't you? That'd be awesome. There are days I'd love to go back and say, if I could get a mulligan on that, if I could get a do-over, I'd love it. But we don't get that. This is real life. It's not the movies. And the fifth obvious truth is that you're responsible to God for how you use the time he gives you. You are responsible to God for how you use the time that he gives to you. And, And that's where I'd like us to really consider this morning. The time that God gives to us, how do we use that? It's called stewardship. Now, when we think of stewardship, we think of money, don't we? I mean, that's the obvious thing. You have a stewardship campaign, and that is you're encouraging people to give. And and we'll talk about that later this month. But but right now, when we're thinking about stewardship, we want to think beyond just the concept of money, although it includes that, because stewardship involves all of life. A, A steward is someone who did not own the property, who did not own the land, but who took care of it for his master. That is what we are as stewards. We are caretakers, stewards of what God has entrusted to us for this time. And in this time, we've got to to recognize that it's not only a gift, but it's one that's passing. It's moving along. It's going away. We can spend each moment only once. And we can't retrieve wasted opportunities. I want to tell you this morning that God cares how you use your time. God cares deeply. If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to put the words on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see this because you may want to highlight it, underline it, circle it, put exclamation points by it. Or just date it and say, this is when Jimmy preached on this passage. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at just two verses there, 15 and 16. But as you see this, I want you to consider what God is saying to you today. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, as we think about that and look at that, three words came to my mind, just floated right to the surface. So I'll give the Holy Spirit credit for them. And the first word was responsibility. Responsibility. You 
are responsible not to use your time unwisely, but to be wise about how you use it. You cannot take this lightly. Just as salvation is a gift, so too is the time that God gives us. It is a gift. We've got to consider how will we use these days, these minutes, these seconds that God has given to us. How will we use them as stewards of that? What is our responsibility of these fleeting days? We're not the first people that have thought of this. More than 300 years ago, the 17th century cleric, Francois Fenelon. How do you like my French? Pretty good. Okay. He wrote about how valuable time is. And this is what he said. Time is precious. But we do not yet know how precious it really is. We will only know when we are no longer able to take advantage of it. God, in his wise economy of his providence, teaches us how we should be prudent about the proper use of time. He never gives us two moments at the same time. He never gives us a second moment without taking away the first. And he never grants us that second moment without holding the third one in his hand, leaving us completely uncertain as to whether or not we will have it. Think about that. He never gives us two moments at a time. And he always holds the third in his hand until the present moment has passed. We never know. We never know whether we'll have that tick of the clock. Now, do we truly believe that this moment, the time that we have, is a gift from God? Do we realize that we will have to give an account for our responsibility or irresponsibility when it comes to the time that has been given to us. And perhaps the biggest question to wrestle with on this is, do we really care? Do we even care? The second word that floated to the surface was the word opportunity. Now, I have most often thought of making the most of every opportunity as a call to share verbally the gospel of Jesus Christ with people in a hope that they would come to faith in Christ. And that's true. Peter wrote, for instance, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Always be ready. Always be be on the edge of the opportunity when God presents someone to you and you can share with them the reason for the hope that you have in it. You know, this verse also tells me this. We need to be living in such a distinct way. Our lives should be characteristically marked by our relationship with Jesus Christ so that people will want to know what's up with us. Why are you different? Why do you make different decisions than I do? Why do you respond differently to stresses than I do? Why is your life not like mine? Even though you've got some of the same problems that I wrestle with. This verse implies that people will look at us and wonder what we've got that they don't have. A little rabbit trail, but let's get back to it. Now, it is true 
that we must be intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the desire to see people come to faith in him. But taking advantage of every opportunity goes beyond simply sharing our faith. It is being aware that we're on God's time, not our time. And you know, I didn't even want to put that line in this message because it brought such, as, as my fingers went across the keyboard of my computer and I typed that in, I wanted to hit the backspace because this is the crux of the matter. We think it's our money. We think it's our body. We think they're our possessions. We think it's our time. And when we think like that, we're thinking as owners, not as stewards. But we have to realize is that every one of those 86,400 seconds a day belong to God. They are His, and He has every right to claim them. But He entrusts them to us. He gives them to us, and He says, use them wisely. Use them wisely. And when God gives us the moments, with each tick of the clock, he's saying, value this, value this, value this, because I do. I value this. This time matters to me. Be aware that we're on God's time, not our own time. You know, the supreme example of that is Jesus Christ and I want to run through these very quickly because I want you to understand Jesus' concept of time based on some of the things that were in his life. Let me just run through these real quickly. First of all, he had a clear sense of his mission and purpose. If we're going to value our time, we need to understand that our mission and our purpose in life. We are not pinballs that just bounce back and forth from one, one place to another, one bumper to another. That's not us. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We need to understand what it was, what it is. Secondly, Jesus was not frantic or hurried. We live in a, a period of time that sometimes you refer to it as a rat race, okay? That frantic, hurried kind of pace of life. You never saw that in Jesus. He had the most important mission on earth, and yet he was always, how can we say, in control? <laughs> He understood the value of time and using it wisely. And as long as he stayed on mission, there was never any purpose for being uh, frantic, for having a hectic pace. Third, he refused to take shortcuts that would compromise his mission. We're very tempted to take shortcuts. Now, I don't want to come down on anybody that plays a lottery. The lottery's a shortcut, okay? It's a shortcut. It, what you're saying is, I'm giving this dollar or how much ever it is in some kind of hope that I'm taking a shortcut to prosperity right here. We need to understand. We need to, to, to understand that there aren't really any shortcuts to fulfilling our mission. Whatever God has called you to do, there aren't any shortcuts to it. It is hard work. I'm not just talking about the prosperity. I'm talking about to fulfilling your mission. It is hard work. It requires diligence. It requires patience. It requires stick to 
Next, we learn from Jesus, he did not do everything. Now, this is hard for some people to understand, but Jesus didn't heal everybody. He didn't set up the Jesus clinic and have people just funnel through, just whack them on the shoulder and send them on out the door. He could have. He could very easily have done that. I often wonder what would happen if God gave me some of the giftedness that he gives to other people. I don't have that special touch of healing. There have been times that God has used me in the process of healing, but, but he has not gifted me specially in that area to be able to miraculously heal people. But I've often thought, you know, as I laid there in bed one night, can't get to sleep, you're thinking about things running through your mind. You know, if, if God were to give me that, I'd just think, you know, I'd hop in the car first thing and I'd ride down and I'd just clear out the hospitals. And I'd drive on over the nursing home and I'd just clear out the nursing home. And you know what? If that was God's mission for me, that's fine. But I know something. That's not God's mission for me. That's not what God's called me to do. And if I took that gift and I went and did that, do you know what I wouldn't be doing? What God called me to do. The first thing I need to tell you, go back to number one. You need to understand your mission and your purpose, what God has for you in this life. But once you understand that, you need to do what he's called you to do. We also learn from Jesus that he took time to rest and recharge spiritually. You know, some Sundays I come in during the summer and I'm going, okay, how many people are going to be out on vacation? And you saw we had a few people from our praise team that are out today. You know, who's not going to be here? But you know what? Let me rejoice in the fact that they're getting some rest and some recharge. If you get the opportunity to have a vacation, to rest, to unwind, to, to, to recoup a little bit, you need to take advantage of that. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I would encourage you either have your own personal devotional on Sunday morning with your family or, or, or find a, a church home to worship in. I'd encourage you to do that. But find times that you can rest and recharge. And let me, let me jump on this because this is one of the biggest things in American culture that we have blown completely out of the water, and we think it has no value for us, and that is Sabbath. We don't take that day that God said, here it is, it's a gift for you. This is for you. Rest. Rest. Matter of fact, sometimes we feel guilty resting. Let me give you permission, because God does, to rest. We also see from Jesus' life that he invested himself in people. Jesus didn't own stocks and bonds. His investment was in people. And he poured himself out into people. Let me tell you, there is no better investment than to invest yourself in people. If you die, and you will one day, and you leave a large estate, most likely your family is going to argue over who gets what and in what amounts. But if you've invested yourself in people, then what you're going to see is that they've already received their inheritance every day, moment by moment. When I have the privilege of sharing in the funerals of people, one of the wonderful things that as, a, as a pastor that I get to do is to hear about and to be able to share some of the ways that that person who lived their life invested himself in people. I don't think I have ever stood up and said, let me tell you about this guy's stock portfolio. Let me tell you about how this woman invested her money. But I've often said, 
This is what they poured out into the lives of friends and family, children, wife, wife, husband, into the community. That's what Jesus did. He poured himself out into people. His father's will, his father's will was his supreme delight. When it comes to spending our time, is God's will our supreme delight in how we spend our time? I got to say for me, sometimes, but not all the time. And that's the path I want to be on. That's what I want. For God to be able to look down on every moment and smile and say, he did, the, he did well with that one. Oh, he did well with that one. Oh, he, he did well with that one. That's what I want. I want to make my dad happy. So do we use the time that God gives us wisely or do we use it unwisely? Do we realize that we're on a mission just as Christ was on a mission? I mean, God sends us opportunities, and he does, manifold opportunities. Do we waste them, or do we seize the moment? Third word that floats to the surface from Ephesians 5 is understanding. We need to understand. We we, we need an awareness of the world around us. We can't afford to go through this life of blinders on. I know it's hard to look into the eyes of hurting people. But that's part of who we are. It's part of what we're called to. I know that hurting people take time. But that's part of who we are. It's part of what we're called to. And I can promise you, if you begin to touch the lives of hurting people, you're going to get dirty. Because their lives are typically messy. But that's who we are. And that's what we're called to. We need to have an understanding. We need to understand who we are, what we're called to, and that time is short. You see, this world that we live in, the way Paul put it is, because the days are evil. Let me just say, we live, if you hadn't realized this, we live in a fallen world. I know probably half of you have Facebook accounts in here. The rest of you are going, what in the world's a Facebook? Well, it's neither, it's not a book, okay? It's on the computer. But every once in a while, I run into newspaper articles from around the nation that just highlight how depraved our society can be. And you don't have to look hard. And I try to highlight that, and I just put, there's the lead. I just say, here's a newspaper article, one more evidence of the fallen world in which we live. Just how bad people can be. We live in a fallen world, and yet it's amazing, as bad as people can be, that God loves each and every one of them. And God's desire is that they come to know His Son as Savior. That's hard for me to believe. Well, it's hard for me to accept. Easy to believe, hard to accept. This is what Jesus said about his own mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come and, and walk in the, in the temples and the synagogues and, and just try to reach to all the quote-unquote good people. I came to people who knew that they were lost as a ball in high weeds. That's who I came for. 
Not the self-righteous, but the people who knew they were unrighteous. That's who I came for. Peter reminds us of God's heart. And listen to this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You want to know the heart of God? There you go. The reason Jesus has not come back is because God is patient. God is waiting. He wants the lost to turn back to him. So what are we to understand? If understanding is a, one of those big words, what, it, what are we to understand? First of all, we're to understand that we live in this world, but we're citizens of another world. We belong to heaven. We're to understand that this life is short and eternity is a long, long time. We might feel like this life is long, but I got to tell you, it's a blink of an eye. But eternity lasts a long time. That's why Jesus tells us to store up our treasures in heaven. Third, we're to understand that God gives us all things for our enjoyment. But our greatest joy is to be at the center of his will. Fourth, we're to understand that Jesus, the light of the world, calls his disciples to be the light of the world. You and I are to shine, reflecting the grace and the glory of God himself. Fifth, we're to understand why God chose to put us here to begin with. You have a mission. You have a purpose. God has a plan for your life. And finally, we're to understand that yesterday is gone. Tomorrow may never come. But this moment matters for eternity. This moment matters for eternity. When it comes to giving our time away. Students say that they'll give their time to serve the Lord and serve others when they graduate and get a job. Young parents say that they'll give their time to serve the Lord and serve others when their children get a little bit older and a little more independent. Parents of teenagers say, well, I'll give my time to serve the Lord and and to serve others when my children have graduated and moved out. By the way, they may move back, just to let you know. Empty nesters say, you know what, I'll give my time to serve the Lord and and serve others when I've worked long enough to, to put up my nest egg so I'll be able to retire. And those who retired say, you know what, I'll give my time to serve the Lord and serve others after I've enjoyed myself for a little while. These are my golden years. I've got to squeeze it all in as much as I can. And you look at that, and you go every stage of life, it is so easy to put off and say, I'll serve the Lord at another time. I'll serve other people at another time. I'll give my time another time. But that is not what God calls us to because it is not our time. It is his time. He has entrusted it to us as stewards. And the Bible does say there's a time and a season for everything. But is there time for God? Is there time for worship? Is there time for serving him by serving others? 
is a time to give away. Not to waste, but to give away. And I am so blessed that in the life of this congregation, there are people who do give their time away. They do it in ministries around our community, Atlas, First Call, so many others, Cheerful Hearts. They give their time away. They pour themselves out into other people. They give their time away. There are people who give their time away right here in the life of this building. In order for you parents to be sitting here, being a part of this message, there are people who are giving their time away right now by serving the Lord, by taking care of children. There are people who give their time away as they come on on, on Wednesdays and and Thursdays to to practice, to be able to come and to to lead in worship on Sunday morning. There are people who give their time away by volunteering at the schools. What I'm saying is, no matter what stage of life you're in, God is calling you to give it all away because it's not yours. Don't claim it. Don't put us property of Jimmy Long. It's not yours. It's his. John Lubbock, a brilliant scientist and statesman, wrote, In truth, people can generally make time for what they choose to do. It is not really the time but the will that is lacking. The time you have on this earth is a gift from God. Use it wisely. As we consider how to apply this message, the application was so vast and so broad that I just want to leave you with one question. And that question is this. Will I give God merely a handful of minutes from my week and consider my duty done? Or will I give him all my time and trust him to guide me moment by moment by moment?